Section 22 of The Idea of Progress by J. B. Barry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 18. Material Progress, the Exhibition of 1851. 1. It is not easy for a new idea of the speculative order to penetrate and inform the general consciousness of a community until it has assumed some external and concrete embodiment or is recommended by some striking material evidence. In the case of progress, both these conditions were fulfilled in the period 1820 to 1850. In the Sansimonian Church, and in the attempts of Owen and Cabet to found ideal societies, people saw practical enterprises inspired by the idea. They might have no sympathy with these enterprises, but their attention was attracted. And at the same time, they were witnessing a rapid transformation of the external conditions of life, a movement to the continuation of which there seemed no reason for setting any limit in the future. The spectacular results of the advance of science and mechanical technique brought home to the mind of the average man the conception of an indefinite increase of man's power over nature as his brain penetrated her secrets. This evident material progress, which has continued incessantly ever since, has been a mainstay of the general belief in progress which is prevalent today. England was the leader in this material progress, of which the particulars are familiar and need not be enumerated here. The discovery of the power of steam and the potentialities of coal revolutionized the conditions of life. Men who were born at the beginning of the century had seen, before they had passed the age of thirty, the rapid development of steam navigation, the illumination of towns and houses by gas, the opening of the first railway. It was just before this event, the opening of the Liverpool and Manchester Railway, which showed how machinery would abbreviate space as it had revolutionized industry, that Southey published his Sir Thomas More or Colloquies on the Progress of Society, 1829. There we see the effect of the new force on his imagination. Steam, he says, will govern the world next, and shake it too before its empire is established. The biographer of Nelson devotes a whole conversation to the subject of steam and war. But the theme of the book is the question of moral and social progress, on which the author inclines to the view that, quote, the world will continue to improve even as it has hitherto been continually improving, and that the progress of knowledge and the diffusion of Christianity will bring about at last, when men become Christian in reality as well as in name, something like that utopian state of which philosophers have loved to dream. Close quote. This admission of progress, cautious though it was, circumscribed by reserves and compromised by hesitations, coming from such a conservative pillar of church and state as Southey, is a notable sign of the times when we remember that the idea was still associated then with revolution and heresy. It is significant, too, that at the same time an octogenarian mathematician of Aberdeen was composing a book on the same subject. Hamilton's Progress of Society is now utterly forgotten, but it must have contributed in its day to propagating the same moderate view of progress, consistent with orthodoxy, which Southey held. Quote, the belief of the perfectibility of human nature and the attainment of a golden age in which vice and misery have no place will only be entertained by an enthusiast. But an inquiry into the means of improving our nature and enlarging our happiness is consistent with sober reason, and is the most important subject, merely human, that can engage the mind of man. Quote. Footnote. The book was published posthumously by Murray in 1830, a year after the author's death. End of footnote. 2. 
We have been told by Tennyson that when he went by the first train from Liverpool to Manchester, 1830, he thought that the wheels ran in grooves. Quote, then I made this line, let the great world spin forever down the ringing grooves of change. Close quote. Loxley Hall, which was published in 1842, illustrates how the idea of progress had begun to creep into the imagination of Englishmen. Though subsidiary to a love story, it is the true theme of the poem. The pulsation of eager interest in the terrestrial destinies of humanity, the large excitement of living in a wondrous mother age, dreams of the future, quicken the passion of the hero's youth. His disappointment in love disenchants him. He sees the reverse side of civilization. But at last he finds an anodyne for his palsied heart in a more sober version of his earlier faith, a chastened belief in his mother age. He can at least discern an increasing purpose in history, and can be sure that the thoughts of men are widened with the process of the sons. The novelty of the poem lay in finding a cathartic cure for a private sorrow, not in religion or in nature, but in the modern idea of progress. It may be said to mark a stage in the career of the idea. The view of civilization which Tennyson took as his motif had no revolutionary implications, suggested no impatience or anger with the past. The startling prospect unfolding itself before Europe is the long result of time, and history is justified by the promise of today. The centuries behind me like a fruitful land reposed. Very different was the spirit in which another great poet composed, nearly twenty years later, a wonderful hymn of progress. Victor Hugo's Plein Ciel, in his epic La Légende des Siècles, announces a new era of the world in which man, the triumphant rebel, delivered from his past, will move freely forward on a glorious way. The poet is inspired not by faith in a continuous development throughout the ages, but by the old spirit of the revolution, and he sees in the past only a heavy chain which the race at last flings off. The horrible past has gone, not to return. Simone de Mort and the poem is at once a paean on man's victorious rebellion against it, and a dithyram on the prospect of his future. Man is imagined as driving through the heavens an aerial car to which the four winds are harnessed, mounting above the clouds and threatening to traverse the ether. Superbe, il plane avec un hymne en ses agrès, et l'envoie voir passer la strophe du progrès. Il est la nef, il est la phare. L'homme enfin prend son sceptre et jette son bâton. Et l'envoie son volet le calcul de Newton monté sur l'ode de Pindar. But if this vision foreshadows the conquest of the air, its significance is symbolic rather than literal, and, like Pindar checking the steeds of his song, Hugo returns to earth. Pas si loin, pas si haut, redescendant. Restant l'homme, restant sa dame. Maintenant l'homme à tâton, maintenant la dame tombée. Tout autre rêve altère l'espèce d'idéal qui convient à la terre. Qu'entendons-nous du mot « meilleur » écrit partout Dawn has appeared after six thousand years in the fatal way, and man, freed by the invisible hand from the weight of his chains, has embarked for new shores. Où va-t-il ce navire Il va de jour vêtu à l'avenir devin et pur, à la vertu, à la science qu'on voit luire, à la mort des fléaux, à l'oubli généreux. À l'abondance, au calme, au rire, à l'homme heureux, il va, ce glorieux navire. Oh, ce navire fait le voyage sacré. C'est l'ascension bleue à son premier degré. Hors de l'antique et vie des cambres. Hors de la pesanteur, c'est l'avenir fondé. C'est le destin de l'homme à la fin évadée. 
he lève l'encre et sort de l'ombre. The union of humanity in a universal commonwealth, which Tennyson had expressed as the parliament of man, the federation of the world, the goal of many theorists of progress, becomes in Hugo's imagination something more sublime. The magic ship of man's destiny is to compass the cosmopolis of the Stoics, a terrestrial order in harmony with the whole universe. Nef magique et suprême, elle a, rien qu'en marchant, changé le cri terrestre en pur et joyeux chant, rajeuni les races flétries, établi l'ordre vrai, montré le chemin sûr, Dieu juste, et fait entrer dans l'âme tant d'azur qu'elle a supprimé les patries. Faisant à l'âme avec le ciel une cité, une pensée avec toute l'immensité, elle abolit les vieilles règles. Elle abaisse les monts, elle annule les tours. Splendide, elle introduit les peuples, marche sur l'or dans la communion des aigles. 3. Between 1830 and 1850, railway transport spread throughout Great Britain and was introduced on the continent, and electricity was subdued to man's use by the invention of telegraphy. The great exhibition of London in 1851 was, in one of its aspects, a public recognition of the material progress of the age and the growing power of man over the physical world. Its aim, said a contemporary, was, quote, to seize the living scroll of human progress inscribed with every successive conquest of man's intellect, close quote. The Prince Consort, who originated the exhibition, explained its significance in a public speech. Quote, Nobody who has paid any attention to the peculiar features of our present era will doubt for a moment that we are living at a period of most wonderful transition, which tends rapidly to accomplish that great end to which indeed all history points, the realization of the unity of mankind. The distances which separated the different nations and parts of the globe are rapidly vanishing before the achievements of modern invention, and we can traverse them with incredible ease. The languages of all nations are known and their acquirements placed within the reach of everybody. Thought is communicated with the rapidity, and even by the power, of lightning. On the other hand, the great principle of division of labor, which may be called the moving power of civilization, is being extended to all branches of science, industry, and art. Gentlemen, the exhibition of 1851 is to give us a true test and a living picture of the point of development at which the whole of mankind has arrived in this great task and a new starting point from which all nations will be able to direct their further exertions. Quote. Footnote. The speech was delivered at a banquet at the Mansion House on March 21, 1850. End of footnote. The point emphasized here is the solidarity of the world. The exhibition is to bring home to men's consciousness the community of all the inhabitants of the earth. The assembled peoples, wrote Thackeray in his May Day Ode, quote, See the sumptuous banquet set, the brotherhood of nations met around the feast. Footnote. Published in the Times, April 30th, 1851. The exhibition was opened on May 1st. End of footnote. And this was the note struck in the leading article of the Times on the opening day. Quote, the first morning since the creation that all peoples have assembled from all parts of the world and done a common act. Close quote. It was claimed that the exhibition signified a new, intelligent, and moral movement which marks a great crisis in the history of the world, and foreshadows universal peace. England, said another writer, produced Bacon and Newton, the two philosophers, quote, who first lent direction and force to the stream of industrial science. We have been the first also to give the widest possible base to the watchtower of international progress, which seeks the formation of the physical well-being of man 
and the extinction of the meaner jealousies of commerce. Close quote. These quotations show that the great exhibition was at the time optimistically regarded not merely as a record of material achievements, but as a demonstration that humanity was at last well on its way to a better and happier state, through the falling of barriers and the resulting insight that the interests of all are closely interlocked. A vista was suggested, at the end of which far-sighted people might think they discerned Tennyson's Federation of the World. 4. Since the exhibition, Western civilization has advanced steadily, and in some respects more rapidly than any sober mind could have predicted. Civilization, at least in the conventional sense, which has been not badly defined as, quote, the development of material ease, of education, of equality, and of aspirations to rise and succeed in life, Close quote. The most striking advance has been in the technical conveniences of life, that is, in the control over natural forces. It would be superfluous to enumerate the discoveries and inventions since 1850, which have abridged space, economized time, eased bodily suffering, and reduced in some ways the friction of life, though they have increased it in others. This uninterrupted series of technical inventions, proceeding concurrently with immense enlargements of all branches of knowledge, has gradually accustomed the least speculative mind to the conception that civilization is naturally progressive, and that continuous improvement is part of the order of things. So far the hopes of 1851 have been fulfilled. But against all this technical progress, with the enormous expansion of industry and commerce, dazzling to the man in the marketplace when he pauses to reflect, have to be set the exploitation and sufferings of industrial workers, the distress of intense economic competition, the heavier burdens of preparation for modern war. The very increase of material ease seemed unavoidably to involve conditions inconsistent with universal happiness, and the communications which linked the peoples of the world together modified the methods of warfare instead of bringing peace. Quote, Toutes nos merveilleuses inventions sont aussi puissantes pour le mal que pour le bien. Quote. One fact, indeed, might be taken as an index that humanity was morally advancing, the abolition of slavery in America at the price of a long and sanguinary war. Yet some triumphs of philanthropy hardly seemed to endanger the conclusion that, while knowledge is indefinitely progressive, there is no good reason for sanguine hopes that man is perfectible or that universal happiness is attainable. A thoughtful writer observed, discussing progress in 1864, that the innumerable individual steps in the growth of knowledge and business organization have not been combined so far to produce a general advance in the happiness of life. Each step brings increase of pressure. Yet in spite of all adverse facts and many eminent dissenters, the belief in social progress has on the whole prevailed. This triumph of optimism was promoted by the victory of a revolutionary hypothesis in another field of inquiry which suddenly electrified the world. End of section 22